You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. How you doing? Okay, I just sold you out on Twitter. Sold me out in the sense of? Uh, I... You you tweeted this thing about how Biden has Chinaphobic ads, and I oh geez, am I going to have notice, like notice, have to go into my yes, notifications and fend off your alt right friends? Not my alt right friends. I said your China hard friends, said, which is I said it. No, I said if Biden if Biden's going to run Chinaphobic ads, how is he going to pick Kamala Harris Kamala Harris as his VP when she's introduced a resolution? condemning even saying the, the phrase Wuhan virus and Josh Barrow who's hardly a China a hardly a Trumpist uh, said what is Chinaphobic about this ad there's nothing Chinaphobic about it he's just he's just uh, Biden is just saying that Trump was too worried about offending the Chinese to protect his trade deal and I could have said over to you Bob I didn't totally sell you out I just said Good point. Trinophobic may be too strong a word. So I, I sold Over you out. Over you actually would have been nicer, yes. Yeah. So so when I look at my notifications, I'm going to see this reply from Josh that I've got to deal with. I hate this shit, man. This is what I hate about Twitter. <laughs> I don't... I, don't I, I thought over to you would have been like saying, I'm just parroting Bob. It's not my fault. And I consciously use the word, so I should take some responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, the uh, uh, you can respond or not, but you have a point. I mean, I didn't want to make it for you, but you have a point. You agree that the this is a Biden ad. This is a Biden pandemic ad, and I tweeted something to the effect, and it has this little you know Trump uh, out of for fear of the offending the Chinese did blah blah blah, and I just tweeted and said, so is every Biden pandemic related ad going to have a little China phobic section? By which I didn't mean explicitly him saying you should fear China, but I mean kind of playing on and probably obliquely intensifying fear of China. And well, it's just it's, he's he's saying he's tough on China. Oh, he's saying and he Trump, is, and, and Trump I mean, is, a, is, and Trump is a wuss uh, because uh, he's not tough enough on China. Yeah, and, 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 plus, and the subtext is China is this scary force. That we should live in fear of. Well, not necessarily, but a little bit of that. But tr- ads have, you know, a subliminal element and, and an explicit element. Right. And I, cu- I could have said that defending you, but I didn't. So I sold you out. You did. Now and now that I understand <laughs> the entire situation, I would just like to point out that you sold me out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you for well, that. Okay. Anytime. Otherwise, I'm fine. Yeah, Here. you're fine. You didn't get sold out. I didn't sell you out. You're doing great. No, you, you can don't make have a, friends who sell you silly. out. You it's can not make, your problem. That's my you problem. Make, you can make a very good case for your Chinophobia point in a way that attracts a lot of attention and draws attention to your non-zero newsletter where you discussed this issue in two rapid-fire installments recently. Several. So, I've done a number of, 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 of pieces. The last so, one, the last one was a was a critique, shall we say, of Matt Stoller's argument yeah. as expressed uh, on Glenn Greenwald's podcast, which I, which I was I I I, uh, I got I, I was a little off on that, and, and some aspects of that were sub sub anyway. short of perfect. I have to Any, admit. Anyway, it's an opportunity, Bob, not a not a sellout. It's an opportunity. It's a promotional opportunity. But this this is the part of Twitter and modern life in general that has held me back is just that um the best way to become known is to be outrageous 
And it's like, it's not that I'm unqualified for being outrageous. I can say outrageous things. I just don't enjoy the blowback. And this wasn't uh, even that outrageous. outrageous. I just don't. Anyway, enough about me. This is not my therapy you're session. Sensitive, you're sensitive to Chinophobia. I'm, I'm um, a sensitive soul. And I'm the a, Biden. Yeah. And, yeah. And anyway, I. Uh, so thanks, bud. Sure. We, we, I'm, we, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm fine. People are going to social distancing dinners now. Are they inviting me? No. <laughs> well. Uh, I mean, think they, they. I think. I think what they think is that you're at about the right distance as it is, Mickey. <laughs> right, a couple of miles, I think. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. Don't let me interrupt. Um. No, I don't have that much to say. I mean, we should talk more about China before this is all over. We don't have to leap into it. I mean, what else has happened this this well, week? We're at a weird stage where something is awry. I mean. It looked like, and I still think that the states that locked down early did better. The lockdowns were a good thing in terms of just if you look, if you just look in terms of the disease. Not true, by uh, the way, but go ahead. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, and, but we're opening up and the opening up so far so good. Why, why is it not true that the lockdowns well, were a good thing? Last week you said, so Florida and Georgia opened all is fine. Actually, now if you, if you, uh, Look at Florida and Georgia. Um, as I recall, if you go look at the state by state uh, graphs of cases in the New York Times, they 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 put both Florida and Georgia under sta- the stable category. There's three, like getting worse, getting better, stable. They put them under stable. But if you look at the graph, you see that, as I recall, both uh, over the last few days show the number of cases increasing. And I went to that um RT, that is for rate of transmission dot live site and checked them both over the past week. You like click on a week ago, you click on now and you watch the dot for each of them and see what it does. Right. Uh, Georgia's RT has gotten worse. Florida's has not moved. So, yeah. So the night is young. If Florida doesn't move and they open up, that's a win for Florida, right? Yeah, that would be a win if it, but, but the average state has gotten better. I mean, the, the the trend, you know, pre-lockdown, the trend was things are getting better um, r- transmission rate-wise in most states. Yeah. And so, you, you know, if if that quits being the case after lockdown, that may tell I you something. S- I, 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 don't- I, I, I just – well, let, let me just quickly say, so I think the post-lockdown effects are going to take a while to play out. It takes a while for more and more people to venture out. It takes about a week if you get the infection to feel strong symptoms. You may not go get checked for a few days. The results don't come in with some of these tests for another few days. So I would just, you know, I would adopt a that's the, and see. Right. That's the uh, uh, Tom McGuire, a very good blogger, said that this was the conventional wisdom. Wait and see. It's too early to tell. But so far, I mean, it hasn't been bad so far. Okay. So except I, in Georgia, I, so except pe- in one of the two states, right? No, it, it, it hasn't been. That's not, it, was it awful? It's not horrible. It's not horrible. Okay, no. okay. I don't so. think it's going to be horrible. I, I don't think it's going to be horrible this summer. Uh, well, if it's not horrible, people are probably going to say that it was worth raising the. No, but I think it's going to be. You know? I think it's going to be pesky and discomforting. I think yeah. there's, you know, and people are going to go. I don't feel quite, you know, I just can't live my life with the abandon of your. Oh, and, sure. And 
It's going to be weird, and things may start to pick up a little and may pick up more as it gets a little cool. And I don't know. I, I still think, you know, the, Trump's biggest problem is going to be the economy, probably. But the because the, um, you know, the, the anti-lockdown forces are de totally on offense, and they say not only were the lockdowns unjustified, but lockdown, you know, Alex Berenson says lockdowns kill people. And, and it, it does seem to me that it's an, it's a sort of puzzle trying to figure out is it possible that, like, there's a primary effect of lockdowns, which is they protect people by, like, stopping transmission and between households. And there's a secondary effect, which is they encourage transmission within households. And once the primary effect is sort of shot its wad, the secondary effect actually may hurt a bit uh, or something like that. I'm, I'm, wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm trying to rationalize that we actually took the correct course, which is we locked down and then we let up. Um, well, I, I think I think what we did more or less makes sense. I mean, if you're not going to try to go hardcore and shut it down, which is China's approach, and even they are having trouble. They, they've now suddenly locked down millions and millions because of a few infections. Is that your is that your ringtone? That is my ringtone. Why don't you let me answer it? Just hold it up to the mic. I'll answer it. No, let's let it peter out. Um, um, no, if you're not, if you if you don't, and I think for whatever reason we didn't. I mean, I think frankly, this administration is incapable of doing something that systematic. It would have been a challenge in any event. But if you're not going to do that, if you if you, if you can't what did try to do that we didn't do, down, what did try to do that we didn't do? Well, just just say we're going to shut the thing down. And 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 then if we get even a few cases record, reported, we're going to go down into serious lockdown. I mean, in other words, they're not going for herd immunity. They're not. Well, they're not getting near in, herd immunity. In, in California, we are in serious lockdown. In New York, they were in serious lockdown. So right, most of the country was in most of the country was in serious lockdown. What did China do more than that? Oh, oh, way more. I mean, when they say lockdown, they mean lockdown. They mean having a cop at the apartment building, like telling you no you can't open your door and come out they mean it's just it's just nothing like this the intensity of the lockdown and the the readiness of the whole you know contact tracing system and 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 everything not to mention the sheer cultural compliance with norms which you know we don't have we, we you know we are like roughly the worst in the world at that probably because of our fierce independence and so on um so okay I don't think um, that was realistic, probably for various reasons. And and as you know, as the title of one of our previous dialogues had it, we are slouching toward herd immunity, barring a vaccine or therapy. Well, therapy just lets you slouch more slowly toward herd immunity. If there's no well, I mean, AIDS, there's no vaccine. There is a therapy, and people don't really worry that much about AIDS anymore, as far as I can see. Yeah, that's true. I assume I think very, very low infection rate, too. I think we'd be happy to get to that point. It would be an improvement. Um, uh, so that's so, where we are. It's going to be, it's still going to be weird summer. You know, what, part of it is just the psychology of fear. It's like, Lockdown puts you in this kind of binary mode, like, okay, I'm isolating myself from all threats. I haven't done anything remotely uh, risk-taking for weeks and weeks, and that becomes the way you think. And then when they open up, you start having to do these things that, okay, entail very low degrees of risk, but you almost can't bring yourself to cross that barrier, right? And, right. like, walk into a Starbucks, even though you know, if you look at the numbers – 
very low chances that in the course of picking up a cop, cup of coffee, you know. And so I went on. to Trader Joe's. How was that? Was that dramatic? Like harrowing. It's harrowing. Yeah. Did, was there they, social distancing? There's social distancing, but they have live cashiers and the cashiers don't seem to be taking it all that seriously. <laughs> what is a live cashier? Meaning they haven't As opposed to yet? a self-checkout. Oh. So, um, uh, so did, you have did to, everybody you have to wear masks? A, you have to deal, everybody's wearing masks. You have to deal with another person. You can't just swipe your barcode and get the hell out of there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's why it was harrowing. And it, Trader Joe's tend to be pretty cramped places anyway. I mean, they're not spacious, you know. So. Yeah. Uh, well, you should see New York supermarkets, as you know. Oh, yeah. Where where space is very expensive. Um, um, so anyway, it seems to me that we haven't quite figured out whether the lockdowns uh, worked and and how does how does that jive with well, the fact that ending the lockdown seems to have worked? Well, it totally worked. I mean, in places like New York, New Jersey, there's just no doubt. I mean, you look at where we were headed, many more people would have died without the lockdown. Yeah, that's what I think, too. But oh, there's, there can, I don't see how anyone can doubt we're, that. We're losing the PR battle. Who, why? Who is claiming otherwise? Alex Berenson. Who is Everybody, Alex Berenson? Half, the, half, the, half of the Trumpists are saying lockdowns were a terrible idea. Um, well, yeah, but I mean, the, the, I mean, they're saying crazy shit. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's funny to hear how Bannon has switched on this. How has uh, Bannon switched? Well, initially, when I started listening to his podcast, uh, he was like, bring down the hammer, you know, just total lockdown for a month, oh, right, blah, blah, right, blah. And now right, he's like yeah. ridiculing uh, the wimps who are uh, pro-lockdown. Um. Uh, and, right. And, good point. And, and by the way, um, you know, if if he is to be taken as a bellwether and he isn't always, but he has been ahead on certain things like the use of uh, CCP, you know, never say China, always say it's the CCP so that nobody can say you're being racist. Um, he, he was ahead of the curve on that. That's been pretty widely adopted. Um, he was. uh I don't know to what extent the the uh, blame Fauci thing is caught on. He he's he's now full throatedly anti Fauci. That's a one eighty. He's uh, it's funny. Last week he was blaming Redfield, and I think since then apparently somebody explained to him that the evangelicals still love Redfield, and so now he's calling Redfield <laughs> a good God fearing man and saying actually the problem is just the whole institution of what? the CDC. I you just raised two issues. One issue. Is there was a brief debate on Twitter whether if if you believe in an afterlife, if you believe in life after death, you're less scared of death and more willing to take risks. So if you're a devout evangelical, you're more willing to open up because, uh, you know, you go to a better place when you die. And uh, it seems to me obvious that that's true. Is that it seems not to be obviously obvious true? it's not. But what's the what's the grounds for it being obviously true? You're less scared of dying if you're less scared of dying. I grew up with evangelicals. No one I know wanted to die. <laughs> you know, it's like no. It's, it's, we're not saying they want to die. We're saying that they're, they're the, the, the 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 level of fear is a little lower. That's all. I just don't think it penetrates your psychology that way. I really don't. And I, I you know, right. I was, I was, I grew up believing and uh, believing I was saved, and uh, still a chance I am. Yeah, um, not after, not after that tweet. Not after that tweet. Um, um the. 
the second issue is uh, you wrote somewhere, I assume in your non-zero newsletter, that uh, we can't have this uh, constant opposition to China without it uh, filtering down into anti-Asian racism and bigotry. I actually I don't see I don't see why that's true. We were in a whole Cold War with Russia. If you saw a Russian, you wouldn't beat him up on the street. You wouldn't be bigoted against well, Russia. We were against that, we were against you, com, we were against communism, not Russians. But you can't spot a Russian, Mickey. They're they're Caucasian. They don't look any different from what was back then, an overwhelmingly Caucasian uh, once America. You, once, once you hear them talking, you can spot them. But that's different. I mean, you don't. I, I mean, the people who are subject to abuse on the sidewalk. Generally, the abuse doesn't come to someone they were speaking to. It comes from somebody who just saw them and walked I, up and half the time got their ethnicity wrong, but they were at least right that it was East there, Asian. There, there are there are incidences of that, but I just it, it doesn't seem to be a major problem with having a Cold War with China. There's there are many other problems that are much worse. Well, well I actually have uh, not emphasized this in the newsletter, but uh, the. Um, you know, I've, I've emphasized more the fact that there's a lot of things we need to cooperate with China on. Uh, we, we, you and I have discussed this a little. Yeah. Um, but, but, but I do think the racism is a real, uh, is a real byproduct in at least some magnitude. And, and it, it, you know, I mean, China just seems more distant culturally to people than Russia ever did. Russia is a Christian culture and so on. Um, so I think it's, it's easy to, um, you know, it is easy to gen, probably easier to gen up fear of Chinese in Caucasian Americans, uh, than of Russians. But, uh, but even back then, I mean, the, you know, to the extent that the identifier was communist, you know, uh, people identified as communist or communist sympathizers were subject to their own form of, um, repression. So, I don't know. But, um, but you're pro. You're still pro cold, pro Cold War with China, right? Well, Cold War is overstating it. I, I I'm. You said decoupling. I, I, you're pro decoupling. I, I'm, I'm into decoupling and having, uh, you know, having the society. I think it's more important that we fashion the society we want to live in, which is a society of where unskilled people can earn enough to live lives of equal respect, than. Uh, and then have as friendly relations uh, with the world as we want, but that doesn't necessarily involve massive amounts of trade. Uh, and, you know, China can do what it wants. They're going to become a superpower on their own, even if they don't trade. And uh, we should respect them and try to bring about change the same, in, a, in a peaceful way without... And there's going to be a little bit of military confrontation. Is that a Cold War? I don't know if that's a Cold War. I'm tempted to drill down on that, uh, what you said about you want an America where everyone earns enough to get a certain kind of respect. Because I thought the whole thesis of your book was that income inequality didn't matter. Forget about income. Respect well, can no, come from whole, other sources. But I'm not going to drill down on that. I'm going to, I'm going to let you off the hook. No, you're not letting me off the hook. If you go to my book, it says that obviously there's a minimum level of income you need to, 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 to have equal respect. And in the nineties, it looked like everybody was getting rich. So we were easily meeting the minimum income level. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, working class America hollowed out and people's incomes actually started to go down and it became a concern and i started to worry about immigration and things like in trade but uh if you go to my book the seeds are there
Well, I think there are people who would say that the attentive observer was noting, even as you wrote the book, that the industrial base of America was starting to be threatened by low wage. Well, they were they were right. Yeah, they were right. But anyway, but 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 I I, want to instead drill down on the difference between decoupling and Cold War. So what what does a Cold War have that we did? We did have the whole. 2000 I mean, boom. Go ahead. Yes. I, I take decoupling to mean a pretty thoroughgoing economic disengagement. That's what decoupling would literally suggest. And right. Uh, maybe, maybe you don't have to go all, all decoupling. We just have to preserve enough industry and, and, and onshore enough industry so that we can employ all our people at decent wages. And then if we want, you know, uh, you know, cheap Chinese shirts and I'm wearing one now. Uh, great. But, uh, you know, first we have to take care of, our, get our own society in the shape we want it. Well, if you don't mean by decoupling what the term would seem to suggest, then I'm, I have less of an issue with well, it. I mean, the, but, we're decoupling compared to now, but not total decoupling. No, but I mean, I mean what people like Matt Stoller and Josh Hawley are saying is, is at least to judge by the way Stoller talks on, on that Greenwall podcast. I mean, they are both explicitly saying, Make our trade part, you know, divide, uh, make ideology a big economic dividing line on the planet. They're saying, focus your trade on your democratic, on fellow, on other countries where freedom reigns, on democracies. They're both saying that. And I super take issue with that because it seems to me, you know, the last place you want to accentuate a fissure is between you and countries that you're already a little wary of and maybe a little antagonistic toward, because I do think trade, the interdependence fostered by trade, can be a pacifying, well, like constructive who, thing. Who, who gets cut off? That means we cut off Vietnam. That's probably a stupid thing to do. You tell me who they have in mind. Uh, I think it's a completely idiotic idea, and I don't. I'm not sure Matt Stoller has thought it through, and I don't think do they, Josh Hawley has. How but, do they get? How do they get around the argument that that's just what TPP was supposed to be, and why do we bail out of TPP? Well, first of all, the actual. Um, somebody just tweeted this to me. Yeah, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the, the, supposedly the underlying tactical logic of that was to freeze China out of it so that China would want to be part of it and then use that as leverage over China to, I don't know what came next, whether you do admit them, but on your terms or you get them to make other concessions. But, but that, the, 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 I, I think, some supporters of TPP had that had in mind that that would ultimately lead to a, a stronger economic uh, kind of relationship with China in a certain sense, or, or or one that was stronger and more to our liking. Right, right. And the critics said there was a backdoor that let China sell products anyway. Uh, to all the TPP countries so that this pressure did not exist. Or critics who might say, look, that's probably not going to work and you're just going to end up accentuating the divide right. between China. Right. right. Um, anyway. Um, but can I just, can the, I just, one quick thing on the yeah. decoupling thing is like, to anyone who means it in a strong way, um, and, and last week when you talked about it, one of your suggestions was, well, engagement hasn't made China any less authoritarian. Let's let's play hardball. In other words, your argument wasn't just an econo- an argument about the economic benefits, the, the economic nationalist benefits of disengaging, but the idea was you get a, a kind of leverage. I would well, just there's point hard, out. Hard, there's hardball and hardball. Right now we're 
we're we're we're sort of uh, their playpen, and uh, we don't have to go full bore to a Russia style well, I mean, Cold first War. First of all, let, let's don't overdo it. I mean, they uh, they make. You know, they save American consumers a lot of money and give American consumers a lot of products they want for more, more cheaper than they, they, they could have it. That shouldn't be the only consideration, but don't act as if, uh, trade is entirely a one-way street. I mean, I agree we should I didn't say it was a one-way street. Better. I say, I say we're, we're pretty open to their okay. products and it's, it's managed to put a huge segment of our population, uh, in a worse position than they were. Um, but what I was going to say was, to anyone who thinks that any kind of thoroughgoing decoupling will, you know, lead to the erosion of authoritarianism, you know, we did a half-century experiment with Cuba, and that suggests it does not work. We just cut off economic relations with them 50 years later, at least as authoritarian as ever. And, you know, it's just there's just no reason to think and and you just know in the in the near term what that kind of um hostility does for an authoritarian leader overt hostility tends to strengthen authoritarian leaders china already uh, has a lot of nationalistic support for xi jinping a lot of it, it this is not you, a population that by and large is waiting to be liberated by the americans they are proud chinese and a lot of them support their leadership and we're just doing him a favor uh, to the extent that we look like we are persecuting them. Uh, don't you think that he'll always have enough to go on if he wants to start a nationalist campaign? I mean, if we had a 1% tariff, it would be like, you know, he, he could start a patriotic campaign around that, fighting the the, the Yankees' 1% tariff. I mean, it's, well, it's sort yeah, of but, yeah, but to the always ex- a weapon he has. To the extent that you start excluding the possibility of him getting fruits from a collaborative, cooperative relationship, he has more incentive to play his xenophobia card, the anti-American card. That's that's why this thing, once it gets started, and it may already be beyond the point of no return, given the fact that, well, as we alluded to, Biden and Trump are both playing the, the same card. Um, you know, once these things get going, they have a strong internal logic. And things get worse and worse for quite some time. And well, I, think, in terms I assume of it's going to get worse and worse now that China is uh, cracking down on Hong Kong. Well, yeah, and you have even to ask, as we speak, even and you as have we to speak. ask, would they have would they have done that if they didn't? If it weren't already becoming clear that they're going to um, that that look, what do they have to lose in terms of how America views it or anybody else views? It? I don't know. They might well have because a pandemic is an opportune time for that kind of thing. Obviously, right. it's, it's sort of a Joe Moore day for them, right? What's Joe Moore? Who's Joe Moore? Joe Moore is the British official who on 9-11 said, get all your bad news out now. Nobody's going to notice because of 9-11. So any day with a big with a huge news event is known as a Joe Moore Day. So if there's a huge pandemic, China can sneak in the Hong Kong crackdown without too many people noticing. Well, well, but it's more opportune than that. It's that it's not just that we're distracted by the pandemic. It's that in Hong Kong, you know, if you have to keep six feet between you and every other person, that really cuts down on the intensity of your street demonstrations, you know. And it's just a good time for authoritarians in general if people don't want to congregate in, in dense crowds. It does seem that there's a logic of there was no way for them to contain it. It's like Tiananmen Square. At some point, they have to crack down. In fact, I would – well, well, I was going to – 
switch uh, the subject to Trump's authoritarian tendencies. Uh, but Go ahead. Um, well, no, but first I would say... My brother will be very happy if you start talking about Trump's authoritarian tendencies. Let's keep him on the edge of his seat for a few more minutes. <laughs> okay. um, the uh, On Hong Kong, I mean, so they were, you know, Hong Kong was leased to the British. The lease expired in the late 1990s or something. And the deal they agreed to with Britain, uh, for reasons, I mean, it was, I don't even understand, because the lease was up. I think it was just theirs, right? <laughs> but, but, but the transition deal they agreed to was that for 50 years, they would stick with this one state, two systems. In other words, Hong Kong is like them, is part of China, but they give it a certain kind of autom- autonomy. And some degree of that has now lasted for 23 years, I think. It's supposed to last for another 27. But it looks like it's going to get uh, ratcheted down again. Um, I, I wish it wouldn't. Uh, but at the same time, I'm almost surprised it's lasted as long as it has. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, it's like when a, when the Wall Street Journal got sold to Rupert Murdoch. And he, uh, he he created some committee, including prior editors of the journal, you know, and they were going to help maintain its independence. And, you know, it's like, no, Murdoch owns it. Give it up, you know. And so in a way, I'm surprised Hong Kong has had some significant degree of degree of autonomy this long. But I hope the game's not over. Uh, and, and I don't think it is. I think it's not clear even what's in this new Chinese directive specifically um, or how much well, they're going to get away with. It's an interesting question. Once, once people have, I don't, I don't even use this word tasted freedom, but once people have lived a relatively free Western style life, can, has, has it, have they ever really successfully been subjugated into a super authoritarian regime? I guess Hitler would hmm. be one example. Uh, yeah, but that was pretty different. I mean, it's a good question. It was a, it, it, I mean, Hitler sort of succeeded, right, in doing that. It's not clear that the communists succeeded since they only lasted until 1989. Uh, in Czechoslovakia, for example. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting question. I mean, you know, my hope had been that, uh, by the time Hong Kong was fully integrated, some, uh, into China, some of their attitude would have kind of at least infected China, you know? Yeah. But Iraq is another example. I mean, Iraq has had a free press or a relatively free press for a while. Are they really going to give that up? I mean, I don't know. It seems to me it's hard to give up. You're trying to convince me the invasion was a wonderful idea. (laughs) No, I just think it's a complex calculation. It is complex. Um, So now just quickly uh, for your brother. Let's leave my brother out of it. I shouldn't have brought him up. Never mind. I don't know. Do you even have siblings? I've forgotten. I, I, I forgot to. I, I may for, have a hundred siblings. For anyone out there who's on the edge of their seat. Okay. Um, Trump's authoritarian tendencies. I just wonder, if it weren't for the pandemic, would he have chosen this moment to quickly fire four inspectors general, which exceeds the number fired by any other president by three, and I think only one or two presidents has fired even one. Um, now that's not, I'm, that's not it's, becoming Mussolini, I grant you, but it's, it, it is another step in the erosion of an important norm that, that, and whose erosion helps well, presidents get away we, with shit. We did have, we, we had a democracy before we even had inspectors general. Still, they're and, a good thing. And, they're, but they're, well, I guess they're a good thing, but, you know, it, it, 
In normal times, the inspector general is hanging around, and if he sees something wrong, he can investigate. In the current time, the inspector general is probably going to be an Obama holdover who hates Trump and is looking for any excuse to bash the administration. We just live in different times. So you would think that if you were a a, a Trump cabinet official, these people would start to get really annoying. Uh, And, you know, I'm not defending Pompeo, but... uh, if you have a guy in your bureaucracy who, whose entire purpose is to fuck you up, uh, you might want to fire him. How do we no. know that's the case? I mean, the things they're investigating seem legit. You really think it's a huge deal if, if Pompeo has his assistant walk his dog? Well, there's, I mean, also, famous- the, there's also the question of um, the Saudi arms. Apparently, Pompeo... Um, you know, when, when they, what did they do? Declare some emergency to, in order to keep selling arms to Saudi Arabia because they had to to do it or something. And, right. and, uh, apparently that was total bullshit. And Pompeo made the decision and then said, uh, find, go find me a rationale. And now that's not like illegal or anything, but I'm happy as a citizen to know it. I'm, I'm glad that there, that there was an inspector general, uh, around who, as it happens, wound up illuminating it in a certain way. I, I, you know, but you wind up with cabinet officials spending half their time answering document requests from an internal watchdog, and at some point, that's a call for the voters. No? Should we have sold arms to Saudi Arabia? Maybe yes, maybe no, but... Uh, well, the voters we, we also want cabinet that it officials was... who, who have time to do their damn jobs. I'm, I think I'm happy for the voters to know that this was a total bullshit, retroactive rationale. Uh, and that it's like on paper that it was the uh, there's a third thing that Pompeo did. But anyway, the, the I'm Madison dinners, you're you know, leaving out the, Mad- oh, the Madison the dinners. Oh, yeah. That seems kind of like bullshit. I mean, really, you know, that seems the taxpayers, the taxpayers should pay for these these bullshit dinners. I guess so. Why not? Well, I just assume that secretaries of state have a lot of dinners with a, with a diversity of people. And yeah, some of them could be politically supportive okay. in the future. I'm surprised. I'm disappointed in you, Mickey, because I thought you'd be well-versed enough in the history of inspectors general to say Barack Obama began the erosion of this norm by firing almost as soon as he got into office, an inspector general who was not actually inspecting his administration, I think, but was inspecting a program run by a friend and supporter of his. I'm, I'm disappointed. Was this the Sacramento mayor? It was Kevin Johnson. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, yeah, so there. Yeah, you win. <laughs> um, it's, uh, Kevin Johnson's an interesting guy. Is he a former NBA player? Former NBA player, uh, a, a relatively conservative Democrat. He's pro school choice. I think he's married to the big choice woman from Washington D.C. I, I, I'm I'm going to misremember her name, so I won't say it. He's had a, a, he has had a vague sex scandal. I mean, he's got all sorts of things going on. He may not be married anymore. I don't think he is. Speaking of which, should we go there? Uh, maybe we should Tara Reid. No, well, we should. Do you agree that the Tara Reid, that thing is dead, dead, dead? No, it's not dead, 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 but it, uh, it's dead, it, dead. No, it's, it's, it's she's, she's taken, she's it's taken dead. some, it's dead. She's taken some blows. I don't think she is enough in herself to torpedo Biden, whereas two weeks ago I would have said it might, she might have been enough. 
She her her credibility has been questioned with this degree stuff about she claims to have had a degree from Antioch, although uh, I don't think a degree not, not, from but not Antioch College, not the well known one in the Midwest. I think it's some Antioch University in the Northwest or something, isn't it? Or maybe well, I think I'm wrong. they're all, I think they're all over the place and they're pretty loosey goosey. And what they call a degree and what other people call a degree is probably a more of a question of. Of a range of things with Antioch. Uh, that, with like I think Yale. a degree, even at the Lucy Gooseyest of, of, of colleges, is a binary thing. There's like a list of people who have them. You know? Well, she got into law school immediately after college on the basis that she had a degree. Was that well? Do you think that, that you raises think, you, the law school questions. never even bothered to contact Antioch and say, "Does this person have a degree or not?" I'm sure there are law schools that don't go through those. Yeah. Uh, oh. But anyway. But, but, she, it's horrifying that she is an expert witness and people are convicted on the basis of her testimony. But, but, That's but amazing. It, on the credibility but, front, it's worse than that, right? Did you, I mean, first of all, did you read Katha Pollitt's piece in The Nation? No. You know, she's, I mean, first of all, if you're a woman alleging, you know, sexual abuse, you'd rather have Katha Pollitt on your side. And if you don't, um, that's too bad. Although Katha Pollitt, with one of the greatest leads ever, acknowledged that she's a Biden partisan. The first the first sentence of the piece was something like, I would support Joe Biden if he boiled babies and ate them. In other words, she really doesn't want Trump to get elected. She acknowledged right. that up front. But the piece was still pretty persuasive in questioning Tara Reid's uh, case and didn't even – this was maybe before the Antioch stuff, but it did link to a Politico piece. Did you read this about – Several people who recently have had really pretty close relationships with Tara Reid, at least in a business sense, like she rented, she she stayed on their property or this or that. Right, right, right. Did you read it? I did not read it. I read a piece by... uh, It's damning. In in, in the National View, and I read a piece on CNN, both. The Politico piece is like, these people, not quite using this language, but basically saying she's a grifter and a liar. That was the oppo dump. Um, Yeah. Yeah, no, I think she's been damaged. I mean, the fact that she's... Uh, flaky is not damaging because men are attracted. No, to like flaky I said, women. I mean, but, look, um, as of last week, as you know, I was totally yeah, agnostic, yeah. and and but, I found her compelling my, when I, I when I, I you know heard her on. But Katie my Hilton. um, you did okay. my um, I, I found her pretty credible. My uh, my new position is, uh, my old position was Tara Reid gives the Democratic Party an excuse to dump Biden anytime they want to because. You know, all they need is 10 women senators to say, I'm sorry, these charges are serious, and he's through as a nominee. Uh, but I, but I don't I th- think that can happen now. I don't think that can happen now, and I think you need another shoe. But I think all it takes is one more woman coming forward. Uh, and I'm not sure there are, are, are such women because, as people have said, this doesn't seem like Biden. Biden is incredibly handsy, uh, but, but he doesn't public- seem like a... He doesn't seem like an assaulter. I have a story. A friend of mine, he's handsy with everybody, men and women. A friend of mine was sitting next to him at dinner, and he put his hand on his thigh. Biden put his hand on my friend's thigh and kept it there for the entire dinner, like an hour. Okay, This was a, this was a male? Yeah. I mean, he's just... He's a hands-on guy. It was nothing homosexual about it, as far as I know. He just is a weird, handsy guy with men. And there are photos on the web of him putting his hand on the thighs of police chiefs. And the police chiefs like looking down at the <laughs> what the fuck is this doing here? You know, <laughs> he's just a weirdo. He's a weirdo in many respects. 
You know, he's a huge bullshitter for one thing. Yeah, no, uh, he's got those issues too. I mean, I'm, uh, I still, well, you know, the betting markets haven't changed. They're still give, give, give Trump a clear edge and leave like six, seven percent room for somebody to replace one of the candidates. I don't know. Um, that's probably where I would be, even though the current polls show Biden in ahead. Yeah, but the betting markets aren't buying. And by the way, you and I had a last week. You disagreed. I said Trump's approval rating now is near the is at the top of the range of variation that he has had over the last two years. You doubted me. Do you remember doubting me? I thought you said it was at the bottom. I don't remember this at all. Well, no, I, I, what I mean was better for him than it has than it has uh, than it has been. I think so, it's about the same. No, so here's the thing. So approval, this is Jesus. his entire... T- I know, I, I, I created this, exa- especially for you. I didn't sketch out the little... So this is from the Real Clear Politics poll aggregators. This is a bunch of approval polls. Approval is at the bottom, is the bottom line. Disapproval is at the top. This is where uh, he is right now. I, I helpfully drew a line across to show you that that is... Significantly better than almost every day of his administration. But the only, the only times that are clearly better are during the pandemic when there was a rally around the flag effect. Uh, he's been basically flat since 2018. Uh, I wouldn't uh, call that basically flat. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, so the, well, usually, well, yeah, usually but, but politicians. Even there, OK, but even since then, this is at the top of that that range of variation, even since 2018. Anyway, um, um, it's a it. it he his his approval ratings have been remarkably stable. They have gone. They have improved since 2018 gradually, as that slide shows. I don't think it's a big deal one way or the other uh, what's happened in the last year. And you would think the pandemic would have had a huge effect. I agree. Which way? I, I mean, in theory, you know, negative. a lot of well, negative because of his performance, but but yes. just generically, crises often have a positive effect and have had a positive effect yeah, for a well, lot of world leaders. He's putting that principle to the test. I guess he's fighting it. Well, I, I, I think I think the generic positive effect is being counterbalanced by his own deficient performance. Yeah. And it comes out as, um, as you know, net more or less nothing. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I have a couple other things to talk about. What do you have to talk about? Um, what else we could talk about? Um, we could talk about the media in various aspects. You know, there's been a lot of media, uh, been a lot of firings, a lot of layoffs. I, uh, I wrote an article about the Atlantic. I wrote a tweet about the Atlantic layoffs. Uh, they, their events business has collapsed. Right. And they laid off 60 people, most of whom were actually in the events sector section of their business. I, I I wrote a nasty tweet saying this shows how much they relied on the inherently corrupting events business because all these events are inherently corrupting because you have to have corporations subsidize them and then if you're if you're you know if your big headliner is Bob Wright as undersecretary of the administration is going to be there, you really can't afford to piss off Bob Wright in the months leading up to the conference because if Bob Wright doesn't show up your whole conference collapses, so it's it's it has a a, a a conformist effect. You have to sort of be nicey nicey with the administration, and um, uh, more so obviously with the administrations you don't despise like Trump. But certainly with the Obama administration, you you had to be 
nicer to them than maybe you otherwise would be. But that was a little unfair of me because actually only 22 of them were editorial employees. Uh, so what were, wait, what were the rest? The rest were the people who put on the events. Right. So, right. so the I events assumed are, it was mainly events. I mean, it was a weird press release because they said, this decision is driven by the tremendous success of our subscription drive. I'm like, whoa, whoa um, <laughs> you know, plus a drop in advertising. It was like truly incoherent. And then they said, right. plus the events yeah. thing. And so I assumed. I, I, I think it was mostly the events thing. But if the advertising dropped too, maybe that accounts for the editorial employees that were laid off. So, but, but I think the events thing clearly subsidizes the editorial side. I mean, why have it otherwise, right? It so, certainly um, helps. Uh, I think it's good that they're rid of that. Well, uh, it may come back. I mean, after the pandemic, the model could work again. But, yeah. but, um, yeah. and, then, and then the other thing is, why didn't Ms. Jobs just, you know, write a check and subsidize it and take the hit? And you are not the only her. person on Twitter that question occurred to. And the, Jack Schaefer, Jack Schaefer points out that, well, you know, and I think this is very common. Our experience with Marty Parrots would be similar. There, pe- rich people are willing to subsidize magazines. They're not willing to take a total bath on something that has no economic viability at all. So that would be, they're not willing to regard it as just a pure charity. They're willing to subsidize a going concern. And that was Schaefer's point. I think it's probably true. True. I mean, Marty wasn't nearly as rich as she is, uh, but. No, but she's yeah, the 36th point, richest person in the world. I think, I think it's true. As a rule, you don't get to be rich by uh, being indifferent to profit and loss. Um, um, so, but uh, if I were laid off by the Atlantic, I would certainly be thinking that. Although the, the severance package seems so, so generous. Oh, really? It was al- almost like a buyout. What, what was I, it? I don't know what the details were, but it was like salary for 16 more months or something. It was like, it was... Sixty more weeks, I guess, baby. It was still pretty generous. Yeah. Um, not in the current conditions, but in normal in normal times, it would be a very generous severance, I think. Uh, and then did Vice have layoffs before that? Yeah, but and and yes. like and like I'm I'm thinking that that should be the death knell for their podcast, The Distance. In which case, The Distance would open up as a as a name for well, the Atlantic other has a podcast called Social Distance. See that just goes to show that whatever else you think of Vice, it is cooler than the Atlantic, <laughs> right? Um, I I don't know. I, I I never got into Vice, even though it was funded by uh, non-person Gavin McGinnis, um, alt writer Gavin McGinnis, right? B- a bizarre case of an alt writer, and I met the guy. He's very he's very enjoyable, slightly combative. Uh, but he invented hipster fashion, you know, this alt writer, really? basically, in, in, you know, with the the hat and the whatever else they wear, the beard and the you know, the whole the whole hipster business. I thought it was people, more about like untucked is, shirts and is people looking like Gavin McGinnis, I and mean, he invented that advice. Is he one of the Proud Boys? He's founder of the Proud Boys. Jeez, and they're like that's like a weird group, right? Yeah, they're weird. They're less. They're less evil, I think, than people say, but I'm not going to completely defend them. But he, he then turned Wait. on them. He then turned on them in, 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 in sort of after they were arrested in New York. And then he unturned on them. It's all very complicated. And what, what was it they were originally proud of? <laughs> I don't know. 
Wasn't Why are like, they boys? That's what I. That's what I want to know. Maybe I'm completely confused. But, so never. Mind. I've met some of them. They're all perfectly nice people, but um, and they're not all white. But uh, you know, it is. It is. Uh, they. They. They probably are guys who like to get into fights with Antifa the way Antifa likes to get into fights with the Proud Boys. That's sort of what happens. Mm. But um. Anyway, but this this wasn't the the group that started out like abstaining from masturbation. Is that am I just totally? I think you may be thinking of straight edge movement. Maybe not. I don't know. I think this is part of the proud. Okay. I thought maybe that was what they were proud of. Okay. Uh, I urge you to investigate this further. <laughs> um, uh, okay, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll be in touch with them. If you know any uh, of them, give them a heads up. Uh, so. Uh, anyway, um, I have a confession to make. Is it related to the it, Proud Boys thing? It's related to devs. Should oh, we save it for the end? You, oh, I think I know what it is. Because I think someone on Twitter pointed out to me something that we're saving for the end to keep everyone on the edge of their seats. Okay, we'll get to About my, the show devs and something devs, Mickey said okay. that... Never mind. Okay. So wait, on, okay. the, on the subject of the media, Mickey, I was thinking... Like, I sometimes feel inclined to criticize things I see in the media, and I think you you do too. Yeah. And I was thinking we could have a feature called Boomer Media Scolds, because, you know, we would be the boomers, and, you know, sometimes we would be criticizing, you know, millennials, young people, and in my experience, they they view our generation with a respect bordering on reverence and would welcome... Yeah, it's the guidance. What do you, you think? We should, you should call it "get off my lawn," but uh, but that would be good. That's that would good. be a cliche. That would be a cliche. Get off my masthead. Get off my. What could it be? Um, um, some of these people don't even know what a masthead is. That's my first complaint. <laughs> uh, we can do that. We can. We can. You, you have to have some sort of. Uh, some some bell you ring when we've entered the boomer hour. Well, the boomer. well really, what might not be bad though is it the is boomer if, the ten minutes of millennial hate. How about that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so all the haters could just skip till the end. Um, <laughs> but but wait. Also, is it Gen Z that's after millennials? Are they younger than millennials? Gen Z generation. See, this is this is why this. they claim that we're senile, Bob. <laughs> I think I, it is. I think X was taken, and maybe Y. I know X. I was think taken. that's right. I know X. I think, was taken, but, I think Gen Z is after the millennials. But, but one X thing was before we could one thing that would be constructive is if often, maybe not every week, we had a criticism of both pro-Trump and anti-Trump media, both over the top or unwarranted pro-Trump and over the top unwarranted anti-Trump. You're making this work, Bob. I have I have candidates this week, though. I did the work for okay, you. Okay, go ahead. What are your candidates? <clears throat> Just this morning, I look at New York Times lead story on the homepage: drug promoted by Trump may harm coronavirus patients. Study shows. I turn to the Washington Post lead story: anti-malarial drug touted by Trump touted by Trump is linked to increased risk of death in virus patients. With all due respect, this study is such bullshit. It's not a controlled study. It's like they just went back and looked at people who who were given what's the name of the drug chlora chloroquine hydroxychloroquine or something yeah to the various variants of it 
And like, obviously, it is going to generally be given to more sick patients because it does have side effects. You're not going to give it casually. And they tried to do a little statistical correction for like yeah. pre-existing heart condition, but basically yeah. you cannot correct for all the variables. Now, it would, given the fact that you know the treatment itself is going to have that kind of bias, it would be news, big news, if it actually lowered the death rate. Right. But the fact that it's, or, or was associated with a lower death rate, but the fact that it's associated with a higher death rate, I'm sorry, that's just not a story. I'm- Barely I'm so glad. All, I, I'm so glad that you're a defender of chloroquine. That's so unexpected. Um, you know what, uh, Mickey? I'm soaking in it. The emerging picture of this drug seems to be that you want to take it early. You want to take it before you get to the hospital. You do want to sort of take it casually as a prophylactic. Maybe I, I'm not advising anybody to do yeah. this, but. But if it has value, it has value early in the process, right. uh, less than late in the process. Maybe right, but, I'm, I'm wrong. But I want to emphasize that, this study drew on people from hundreds of hospitals. There was zero top-down influence on what kinds of people were given it. It just right. – so anyway. I thought there was a control group. The one I saw, there was a control no, group. No, there's no control. And, and, and they were explicit. There's another the, study this morning that might be a little more convincing. That had okay, a control but group. that's not what was that's not what carried these headlines. Both of these sto- these stories noted there was no control, like eight paragraphs yeah. in. Yeah. Anyway, it, it, I wish I could remember this Chinese scientist who said, "I, I know you're supposed to take it with zinc because one of its it, one of its virtues is it smuggles zinc into the the cell." I think I think uh, zinc smuggles it into this. Oh, maybe uh, it's the other way around. One of them okay. smuggles the other. Yeah. And the other, and but then this this Chinese guy tweeted early on no you have to use this weird kind of chloroquine and i i can't there's no way i can ever find that tweet i wish i i wish i could but that was the the, the secret to using chloroquine is lost forever so just quickly my pro-trump piece i'm criticizing is by josh rogan of the washington post uh he writes as recently as january it's about how I mean, it just reads like a press release from China Hawks in the Trump administration. It's about how now the administration is congealed around an anti-China policy, which is fine if it's true, and and it's probably largely true. But but he acts as if until like the final couple of paragraphs has nothing to do with politics, and it's all because you know they had really discovered. Uh, that evil lies at the heart of China. So he writes, as recently as January, the administration appeared to be prioritizing good relations with Beijing in order to preserve the phase one trade deal. But now, given China's gross mishandling of the pandemic, those arguing internally for more leniency <laughs> have largely come around to a more hawk. And he, he goes on like this elsewhere. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. And then finally, in the last paragraph, he does this to be sure paragraph and says, yeah, they're using this for political purposes, but that's only possible because, as polls show, Americans in both parties are souring on China as they learn how Beijing's coronavirus actions have worsened our suffering. Um, Would you, do you have a do you have a viewpoint on him pulling out of the Open Skies Treaty? Yeah, I, well, I don't know enough of the details. I know that they claim that Russia was violating it. We weren't. I'd want to dig a little more. Deeply, uh, the people who think it's a bad idea are people I trust. So I probably, if I looked more into it, would be opposed. What about restarting the start negotiations? Uh, 
Uh, I get all these things mixed up. I mean, you okay. know, he he's dropped out of several arms control agreements in at least two of them, like in the inter- intermediate um, nukes one. He claimed that Russia wasn't playing ball, but pretty much everyone said what he did was worse than what he could have done. Um, and on start per se, I don't remember any good rationale for that. Um, well, anyway, he's the point is he's, my point is, is, is the crude one, which is he's not abjuring all negotiations. He's actually started an, uh, an arms control negotiation with Russia and China, whether, whether or not he's taking a reasonable position or not. It's not like he's saying all treaties are bad. No, but he's saying a lot. I mean, the way, I mean, he is trying to throw, I would say, broadly speaking, the wrench into institutionalized international cooperation. I mean, the most glaring example is what he's done to the World Trade Organization. He's basically paralyzed its dispute uh, resolution mechanism, which was the most significant thing about it, you know, in terms of the difference between it and its precursor, which was GATT, the General Agreement on Terrorists and Trade. Um, uh, I have a... I One topic I wanted to bring up is this piece by Adam Serwer, if I pronounced him his name correctly. That's the way I pronounce it. In The Atlantic, where it basically says the not sort of, I've been waiting for this argument, the not implausible argument that says, well, uh, the deaths from the coronavirus are, are over-concentrated in the black and Latino communities. So, of course, Trump would be for opening up because it's just those colored people, people of color dying. Uh, and uh, it's not a crazy idea, so it's it's not easy to argue against. Uh, but I have some arguments against it, uh, one of which is Trump has always been for opening up. Uh, from, it's not like he, he was against opening up and then all of a sudden he said, oh, the corpses are black. Well, let's open up. He, he was always reluctantly dragged into locking down. And as soon as he could get out of it, you know, the, he, he got out of it. So that was sort of irrespective of the color of people. Uh, he has had friends who have died. Uh, the, I don't think it's enough to say the, the, the disease of disproportionately affects blacks, which it does, and wildly disproportionately affects Latinos, at least here, which it does, because the white, white deaths still outnumber the black deaths in California, at least by three to one, and presumably nationwide, many more white people are dying than, than now, black people are dying. So it's hard to write them off, and it's hard for Trump to write off black voters anyway, since he's desperate for black voters to win re-election. So. Is he? I mean, yeah, does he, he have enough hope. hope of getting them? He has hopes of getting five more percentage points, and that's why that's why he keeps harping on this uh, first step act that you know that he seems to feel will somehow appeal to the black communities, which is letting felons out of prison who were allegedly more minor offenders. Uh, uh, he, I mean, he makes noises about it, and there are people like Jared Kushner who are telling him he can he can get more than expected and that would be a death blow to the democrats if he wins a lot of if he wins like 45 percent of latinos that's huge if he wins 12 percent of blacks that's huge because uh, i mean that's almost the opposite of an argument i thought you were going to make i thought you were going to say in reply to server well he's just following political logic his base wants him to reopen it's true his base when you look at working class people is white people not black people but if it happened you know but but that 
that's a given, and it's not because uh, the people who are um, who, who are hurt by it are black. It's because they aren't part of his base. That's what I thought well, you were going to say. It'd be, it, it, it fits much more easily in the thesis of he's doing what the red states want, and he's fucking right. over the blue states. Red states uh, and the red parts of the... And, 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 but that's sort of that's sort of not a race thing. It's a we're screwing over the liberal Cuomos of the that, world. Yeah, that's what I mean. Uh, we're, we're screwing but, over blue America. Yeah, but that's right. different than exactly. You know, I mean, the it, uh, and, and the other part is in California here. I mean, you know, where there is, where, you know, no, I only know one person who's had the virus. Everybody I know only knows the same one person who's had the virus. Nobody, nobody knows anybody who has the virus. It's all the people on the other side of town. So in theory, we should be pro-opening up. But in fact, the west side of Los Angeles, where they know nobody who has the virus, is the most pro-lockdown part of maybe America. They're total lockdown Nazis. So it doesn't quite. Well, are they older? Is it an theory. older? Is it an older demographic? It's an older, incredibly liberal, you know, PC. Uh, you know, and, and affluent, affluent people are very risk averse. I mean, their kids are more likely to wear bike helmets, I'm sure, and all that. You know, um, but they, they they will sort of acknowledge that their risk to them is limited. I mean, they it, it's dawned on them that they don't see. That yes, they're risk averse, and I'm risk averse. But it's dawned on them that this isn't happening on the west side of Los Angeles. Yeah, um, and yet they maintain their support for lockdown, perhaps because they don't want people to die. Uh, and Brand, that, perhaps and, 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 and that they're not and they're not racist, but perhaps because uh, they're affluent, highly risk averse people. Um, anyway, that so you don't have a strong reaction to my no, I, 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 I don't. I, I'm not. I, you know, I, I have uh, more than once been skeptical of, a, of an Adam Server argument, um, and uh, well, every, everything is race to this guy, and yeah, this is one of the yeah. well, I mean, he, yeah, a, a bigger reach than most. Um, I wouldn't say everything is, but but he he, he tends to emphasize it. Um, and I mean, he, that's fine. I mean, we all have our our you know our, our things. If he said that resentment of welfare was about race, you'd have a point. The welfare welfare roles are not disproportionately black. At any one time, they're probably majority black. So it, there's a huge huge disproportion uh, mm-hmm. over the course of a year. Maybe they're majority white. All of that was changing. Uh, with the passage of welfare reform, but so there, I think you know, he has a lot more to work with than here, where there's just some sort of uh, yeah, no, it, it seems medium to me sized that, disproportion. Yeah, no, the political logic behind Trump's stance is, I think, clear enough without invoking race. I mean, it, well, it's a combination of political logic and just the the situation he got himself in. By refusing to acknowledge bad news early on and every day saying everything's wonderful, uh, yeah. that put him on a certain trajectory. I blame Rush Limbaugh. How is Rush? Is he? Uh... I, he's still broadcasting. Um, the um, and my other topic. We're running out of topics, and we've only gone for like an hour and a half. No, uh, much less than that. We've gone for an hour. Um, uh, the uh, other topic is it's um, a guy named Ryan James Jurdusky who's on my side on immigration, or maybe I'm on his side. He's written a book about nationalist populism. Uh, he's a very smart guy, and he was trying to explain why there isn't this holy grail of a 
an alliance between the populace of the left and the populace of the right. I mean, they agree on trade. They agree on, uh, you know, rich people getting richer and screwing over uh, less skilled, less less rich people. Uh, one of the big stumbling blocks, which he is onto correctly, I think, is health care. The, the populace of the right just are so hostile to universal health care that the left people are never going to go along with them. And the populace of the right need to get an attitude adjustment on that. And if they had embraced some form of universal health care, they would go a long way to solidifying this alliance. But the second, uh, the second big stumbling block to my mind is immigration and trying to figure out why the left, ha- it, you know, it seems hopeless for the left to come around on immigration to my point of view. I ran for the Senate in California. I was a terrible candidate, but I, the, one of the main reasons I ran was to see if there was any purchase for pro-borders immigration control of the Democratic Party. And my conclusion was, no, there isn't. It's a sheer cliff face. You're going to fall and die. There's no no room for uh, my immigration views in the Democratic Party. There is in the Republican Party. And there used to be in the Democratic Party. So why... Why are the Democrats never going to? And it's important not to confuse the views of the elites. The elites of the Democratic Party said, "Well, we have to let in Latinos because they're the future of the party. We know they're going to be liberals, and they're going to ensure liberals are ascendant for the next generation." Versus the voters who may not care that much about the institutional interest of the Democratic Party. And Jerdusky says, "Well, it's all because of wokeism." That, that, uh, you know, I guess the Democratic voters are worried about seeming racist. And I just think it's, it's worse than that. It's harder. There was, well, what's, there, what's the exact part of the Democratic coalition that you would expect might be amenable to embracing your immigration position? Well, I think virtually all of it. I mean, I think even Latinos are much less, uh, anti-border than uh, than the, uh, but, but than I mean, the, a lot of the, the pro border people of, would make it of, out to be. A lot of white Democrats have their lawn done by you know by, well, that by immigrants be, that at that a reasonable other, rate. I mean, there's that a lot would be of, the other argument. The other argument was that they like the cheap labor, but I don't think that stops good Democrats from doing what they think is right. If they thought it helped boost wages to control think, the border, uh, they would otherwise do it. I think. I think one of the biggest obstacles is just what. This, you know, the experience of Trump has done to well, that's the, self, the self-conception of Democrats. Yeah, that's going to get hard clear, to get around. Clear. I mean, they, they well, have well, rated, you know, a, a, a do or die issue. Ryan was saying, why did 40 percent of Democrats support the wall before Trump and 10 percent after yeah, Trump? That's well, that's because of Trump. Duh. Right. But um, but that, does, that doesn't answer. The, the question is surprisingly hard to answer. I mean, why? Why don't Democrats who are like our workers and will probably benefit from, uh, uh, you know, controlling the borders, cutting out guest workers, reducing illegal immigration so their wages yeah. would go up? What what's stopping them? And I, I, I well, if you mean my, what's stopping them from becoming Republicans, a lot of it is is the the economic no, policies. No, what's I I agree with that. Okay, but what's okay. what's stopping them from what's stopping them from being willing to drop the immigration yeah, plank? Yeah. And well, you know, join Republicans on, if in other ways, like health care and economic policies and tax cuts, Republicans saw the light. Er- and the answer, 
I'm just thinking of, 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 you know, campaigning in California. The answer seems to be, and maybe this is completely incoherent, uh, the Democratic Party is a collection of interests or grievances, however you want to call it, and it's sort of a package deal. Mm. And the main, one of the main, for example, one of the main interests in California is environmentalism. Much bigger issue than immigration. Democrats who are in the party sort of care much more about environmentalism than they do about immigration. But if they, for that reason, they buy into the Democratic coalition, and the Republicans have nothing to offer on environmentalism. So uh, they're Democrats, and the immigration sort of goes along for the ride, and they're not willing to abandon the whole package for maybe another populist package that won't have an an environmental plank. Uh, so it's not just, they're not scared of being labeled racist or woke. It's more the transaction doesn't work for them, given that there are things they care about a whole lot more than immigration that the Could Democrats be. provide, like health care and like being green. Could be. I mean, you know, Democrats have their own version of this question, which is the what's the matter with Kansas question. Why aren't these working class middle Americans who would, who would do much better under our uh, domestic policy proposals, health care, tax rates, everything. Um, why don't they join us? You know, they don't. But I thought I thought the answer of uh, Frank's answer to, on what's the matter was sort of persuasive. What was his answer? The They're Republicans have, have convinced, I would argue, with some justification that it's the liberal Democrats who are the elitist snobs and they're appealing oh, totally. to social. They're appealing yeah. to social equality. They're saying these as George Wallace did, it's nothing new. As George Wallace did in 1968, the, these pointy-headed liberals are looking down their noses at you. Absolutely, and that's, absolutely. And, and that's enough to do it for me. Well, but that should. I mean, I'm not sure you'd be know, proud of that. <laughs> the, the populists, the populists, should be able to use exactly the same argument on immigration, and they they're not making those inroads with left-wing populists. That's the point. Wait, they should be able to make what arguments? That the Democratic Party is a bunch of elitists looking down their noses at you. Uh, maybe I'm confused. Anyway, I'm not. I'm not uh, um, they, they, anyway, I mean, back to your senatorial campaign. Okay, your big mistake was giving up your slate blog no, in, a fit, in a fit of hyper conscientiousness. What would that get me? That what is what has blogging gotten me, Bob? It's it's gotten. Well, we'll uh, never know because that was I, the end of your blog at Slate. But, but the, I kept on blogging. I just think my my impression of blogging was it's fun while it lasted. It seemed uh, I right. had a lot of in, I bloggers just, had a lot of influence back in the day when there were no there was no competition. It would have gotten a lot of attention. Might have given left, your campaign it's a left lift. virtually no residue in its trace. There's no might have given lasting improvement in my life because I was a blogger. Of course, your other mistake was saying I'm not in this to win. Uh, which I thought would, you know, I wouldn't have anticipated that that would give them a, uh, grounds to exclude you from the debates, which is what they did, right? Yeah, well, they would have, they would have excluded me anyway, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very tricky, you, you're sort of forced to lie. You were it's running, what were you running for? Senate? Or I Congress? should have anticipated it. What'd you run for? Congress or Senate? U.S. Uh, Senate. Jesus, Mickey. That's pretty well, audacious. I started at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. Um, the man in a hurry. Um, but, so who, um, who's Biden's uh, vice presidential choice? I, I handle that badly, but it's virtually impossible to handle well that question. You have to say, yes, I'm in it to win it. 
And then yeah. they say, but you have you your your support is undetectable in the polls. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> Justin no Amash said I'm in it to win it right until he said I'm not in it. Um, right. They the, all say that's the only answer. You have to lie. You have to say I'm in it to win it, even if you're so not. So who is Biden's vice presidential candidate going to be? Um. Well, I hope it's not Kamala Harris. That's why I wrote. That's why I sold you out this morning. I think a lot of things point to that. So I could trash Kamala Harris. She's awful. Her, her, um, the character who plays her in Devs is much more convincing than she is. I Um, vote for her. But um, the uh, I would say Klobuchar because I think he wants somebody Uh, he's he's simpatico with. Uh, uh, you know, it's pretty slim. She's pickings, not I bad. Say. She's not bad. What's so I terrible about don't her? Want, I've told you three times. The combination of hair shake and voice quake gives me anxiety attacks. I can't be alone in this. I just imagine her sending waves of anxiety through America during debates. That's not the Sh- way to win anybody. Surely they can, they can train that out of her. They've, they had a lot of time to try. That's, there was one debate where her hair seemed kind of under control. I was getting hopeful, but nope. Next debate came. You don't think she can turn that into a positive? Like, look at the excitement. Her hair is electrified. She's vibrant. Yeah, there you go. She's vib- pulsating with energy. Yeah, that's what they should try. Uh, um, <laughs> anyway, Walter Shapiro loves her. Oh, in that case. That's enough for me. Yeah. It's it's slim pickings. I mean, honestly, I got to say Elizabeth Warren excites me more than either. Uh, well, either she's Kamala. the most popular. Yeah, but I but, don't think he gets. I don't think anybody gets along with her. Well, compared to who? She's never thrown a stapler at you, has she? Well, Which you don't Klobuchar, want to work for Amy Klobuchar, but you know, but there are there are people in the world, Bob, who who are nasty to underlings and. Respectful, nicer. nicer to people who are their equals or superior. We have known there's some a of valid those. Darwinian explanation for that. Um, and apparently Elizabeth Warren doesn't do that. She's unpleasant to everybody. <laughs> That's there. You go. I want an egalitarian candidate. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I don't think Biden can get away with putting his hand on her thigh. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That would be a good slogan I, for her. I, I told you I saw a little of the Warren Stump speech, and it was f- so much better than I expected. She's she's good. Uh, I so. mean, she's definitely the strongest combination of policy, conversancy, and rhetorical skill, including impromptu rhetorical skill, I think. Do you, do you really think the important things uh, facing our nation are, do we have enough naturist, anti-Trump, antitrust attacks on big corporations. I, I think, don't think it's not a bad time to mobilize the, resentment of the tec- our corporate the overlords. The tectonic forces arraying against uh, the working class are trade, technology, and immigration. It doesn't address any of those. Well, technology, don't we associate technology with Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg? You think if we you think if we break up Amazon automation is not going to displace workers? No. Does it matter whether uh, we're not asking what which policies do what and uh, you know, uh, we're asking what galvanizes voters, right? No, we want it, Bob, we're not just in it for the well, we, I totally we want to think actually antitrust, address America's problems. I totally think antitrust action of a kind is in order with several of these companies. Here, you know, here's what I think would be good for the once these companies get to a certain size like Amazon, Google, whatever, why don't they just say you can't buy any more companies? Cuz that's how they maintain their power. If if Zuckerberg had not bought Instagram, 
he would be in a period of waning influence. This is how they maintain their dominance and discourage actual competition. That is true. That would be a good rule. And, 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 and of course, Bezos, he doesn't just buy companies. First, he brings them to their knees with his predatory pricing, and then he buys them. It's worse than that. Oh. If, if you're, if, even if he doesn't bring you, the, bring you to your knees, if you have a successful product on Amazon, he will say you have a successful product, so I'm copying that product and I'm putting you out of business. So it's, if he's nice that's to you, he's, one, that's one he form kills is, you. He kills you even if he's nice to you. Well, that's one form his predation takes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, um, the uh, I worry though that we're, we're 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 spending the trouble with going on this long is you know people at our age don't come up with new ideas very often and so we're probably only a couple of weeks away from having said every interesting thing we'll ever say. Well, that was the problem before, but you know. We were hoping that the disease would throw us new curveballs, but it hasn't. Um, the, uh, so, so maybe I should just do my dev's apology and then we'll call it a day. It's an yeah, hour and 17. Yeah, I want to say a couple of things, but go ahead and, and, uh, and do your devs and then I'll say my couple of things. Okay. Uh, last week, this is, I have to put on my, I just want to say you're, I just want to say you are a big man. To, it takes a big man to admit. Well, that he was wrong. You, you and don't want to know, right. you don't know what I'm going to say. I'm putting on my best Chuck Todd, uh, half-assed apology voice, which is uh, last week I, Last week I said on Blogging Heads that uh, that the dev show was not in favor of the Everett Mini Worlds view because one of the lead characters had, had said with a voice of authority I know that the Mini Worlds view is wrong. I went and looked for this clip and discovered and by the way, wait, 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 you're missing something. Last week I said you're wrong, Mickey. Okay. Well, go ahead. Fine. Now you proceed. Um, uh, and, and found this the characters, in fact, saying that Forrest, a guy who did not agree with the many worlds view, was wrong uh, on, in the scene on the dam with the kid who jumps to his death. We think so. That implies that if she is the voice of authority, that implies that the show is in fact pro many worlds, as you and Horgan said, not anti many worlds. But when I look, <laughs> my 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 weaseling is. It didn't seem to be such a voice of authority as I remembered it. <laughs> she's sort of, she's sort of sneering at the kid because she's about to talk the kid into jumping to his death. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a, another possible interpretation, and I still think that the simulation that they're living in at the end is in no way a vindication of the many worlds. It's the same woman replicating what the many worlds would look like on the computer, but that. That's just a replication. That doesn't mean that in the real world that uh, that there, in fact, is a multiverse. Now, I think the but, success of the uh, the simulation algorithm was contingent on the assumption that many worlds is right. And I think what they did with that simulation at the end was they went back into time beyond the point where, plot spoiler, earlier then his daughter had died and it, and then chose a different, then, then going forward in history, chose a different, Avenue along one branching point where she hadn't died and got into a simulation of a real one of the many worlds in which she hadn't died. That's what I think. But, you know, we can settle this. A a, a podcast of our stature, we can just demand that Alex Garland explain himself. Here's here's a, a, a dumb question that maybe is a good question. How often does this branching take? I mean, why didn't why why didn't why when they were on the bridge, why didn't it 
why wasn't there a branch when they were walking on the bridge where the kid didn't go on the bridge? Well, there probably uh, was. There probably uh, was. I mean, that's so, the implausibility so, of many worlds. Is there's like we're talking like we're not just talking like a dozen worlds here, <laughs> you know? I, I, mean, I, I think somebody estimated the number, and it's like how a large could they number. even estimate if it if it if it if, if it branches off with the the Twitter of a of a quantum? Yeah, you know, I don't molecule. know. I mean, quantum physics is so mind blowing. I don't know. All I know is that. I'm living in the house of the man who taught Everett his quantum physics. Thank you. But, yeah. So, there's that. Um, uh, and, and I still think the rest of my criticism of the show with the ending sucked stance. So. Yeah. I just thought it was worth, you know, you, there aren't oh, many shows that take philosophy seriously. You know. It's a, as, as I get further away from it and get less pissed off at the end, it, 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 it looms as a better show. It's a great show. Even if you yeah, fucked up. I end. wish it could have gone faster. I mean, it's like, I was like, could we, you know, and my wife would say, listen, just calm down. He's establishing, they're establishing how much he loved I'll, his daughter. And I'm like, I can like, we just stipulate well, that, that he part, loved his daughter? That part sucked. But the, uh, but the elegiac, the elegiac photographs of San Francisco were good. Oh, yeah. A lot of good visuals. Brought back your early days at the Presidio. I'm telling you, man. Oh, speaking of which, I almost teared up when I heard. Did you hear that Kramer Books in D.C.? This is not in San Francisco, but in terms of nostalgia, Kramer Books is closing. Yes, although there, there, I have there, there are things that have teared me up more in Los Angeles. But yes, but see, I lived right near Kramer Books, and I and with my first book, I used to go in every day to see if any copies had sold. Kramer Books was a great thing because it was a place you could always go at night if you had nothing else to do. You could go hang out, and and it would satisfy at least. A third of your desire for social interaction, and if you, you were, a, and, and if you met somebody for dinner or lunch there, you could browse for books books while you waited for them to show up. Right. Um, we so like it was. It's a great something. institution, and it's. Uh, I agree. It's but, sad. Uh, but but keep in mind. But they've let the institution die. I mean, the food there has been. You would never eat there uh, on your own for the last. 15 years. Also, Tim Dugan Books, you liked, did you like my tweet where I, uh, I lamented? retweeted your tweet just because. Do you know you say, Tim? No, but if you say he's a good guy, Bob, I He's a, he's I, a great I, guy. I he's a that. serious, serious, uh, editor. I, he'll probably stay in the biz. I mean, this is just his imprint that I guess will be no more. It's called Tim Dugan Books. It's part of the crown thing. But, you know, he published that, that quickie. You would not like this book, but the, the, not quickie, but the short book. Uh, on uh, on tyranny, really little little impulse buy book. It was a huge bestseller at the beginning of the Trump administration by this Yale historian Snyder, maybe. Anyway, one of his oh, many yeah. strokes of genius. Yeah, that was Tim. That's like Trump is. We're going to have Nazis goose stepping down the streets. That didn't yeah, and see, now that didn't I happen. will say he did just fire four inspectors general. Just saying. I um, think so. Can, on the, have I told you? Have I? Yeah, I've told you about my grandfather. Was born in Frankfurt. He was a German. He fought for Germany in World War One. Uh, the day he he wrote a letter to his children explaining why they had to leave Nazi Germany, which he did a month after Hitler was elected, it's because the first day that Hitler was in power, they paraded Jewish businessmen naked down the street. Okay. Wait, this There's is a long early, way. This is what year? Thirty-four, I think. There's a thirty-three, thirty-four. That's kind there of a, a warning sign. Yeah, there's a long way between firing inspectors general and parading Jews naked down the street. So 
I just want to note that. That's true. Plus, it wouldn't be Jews with Trump. But anyway, no, I don't think Trump is going to do that to anybody. Um, so uh, let me stipulate that I don't think he is. Uh, speaking of which, though, Connor Friedersdorf had a good piece about how, like, we shouldn't overlook the possibility that the reason Trump just hasn't handled the whole epidemic thing well is Connor didn't put it this way quite, but it is that Trump just isn't very smart. And I think we should never lose sight of that possibility. Anyway. Uh, so as for names of the show, here's some suggest, you know, should this become its own little thing? And by the way, in the meanwhile, if anybody wants to rate and review the right show, which this currently is, and, and, and would remain, you know, I mean, even if it branches off, it would continue to come for a while in the right show feed. But anyway, um, they should feel free to do it. I just want to pause and say that because I, I, I almost never make that appeal, but it would be so helpful. And it was what if they, what if that, they rated badly. Uh, also, there's a lot of uh, good Netflix stuff they could watch instead. I would direct them. I would just point that out. Um, but if they if they've been listening this long, either they are a hardcore hater, in which case it'll be obvious that their review is not to be taken seriously or they will be a lover. So wait. Pangolin Pals. This is one proposal from somebody whose Twitter name is Big Mood Lability. Okay. Um, oh, a private message on Patreon. Oh, that reminds me. You could also go to the, the Non-Zero Foundation Patreon page and support us. Uh, this person says, my husband has a suggestion for a podcast with Mickey Kaus. You're going to love this, Mickey. It's, it would be called Right. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. Right and Wrong. You liking um, that? Hey, you know, if it gets us viewers, why not? And now, you remember you had thrown out experiment. Did you throw out experiment in human sacrifices in name? Yes. Okay. Gazim writes, as a representative of the podcast's allegedly small 20-something listener base, experiment in human sacrifice is by far the most appealing name. Robert Ryder, that's me, should reconsider that I guess I had uh, expressed disdain for that name, should reconsider if expanding demographics is the goal. We will take that under advisement. Thank you, Gazim. How, um, how about Pangolin Picnic? I still think Pangolin Delight is not that bad. Now, you remember the show Afternoon Delight, right? The problem with Pangolin Delight is you're sort of having fun while hundreds of thousands of people are dying. Isn't that's... that the whole idea behind this podcast? No. Okay, so that's not it. But still, if you imagine, if we could get... Do you remember the name of the group that did Afternoon Delight? Which was truly, no. truly one of the worst songs in the history of... It was some Washington group. It was a I local think it was, Washington Wasn't it called group. like Starland Vocal Band or something? Yes. If we could think, get somebody who sounds just like them to do it except with <laughs> Pangolin Delight. <laughs> I could probably do it. Because you know what with, Afternoon Delight is a reference to, right? Correct. But An afternoon sexual escapade. So this would be so edgy, people thinking about, like, I mean, let's just say it, sex with pangolins. This would it's, be, it's, I mean, this 20-something guy, he'd be like, he'd be like, screw experiment in human sacrifice. Let's do pangolin delight. Um, I was thinking it'd appeal to boomers, but I guess not if we're... If, um. By the way, this 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 20-something guy could be a 20-something gal, as we boomers say. I shouldn't have said guy. Um, Alex writes, every work 
every week I'm worried that this is going to be the week that you tell – he says this to you – that you tell Robert Ryder that you are calling it quits. Keep it up, guys. That's kind um, of poignant. I would point out that you're not the only one with leverage. In principle, I could quit, but anyway. Um, and this is the best. Paul Deacon one writes – I think this is a YouTube comment. I could watch this relationship all day long. He's talking about you and me, Mickey. Yeah, that's moving. Are you getting um, misty-eyed? Is that the way you're t- reason you're turning your head away from the... Yes, I don't want people to see me cry. <laughs> um, I was thinking if, if if this was our 10th episode, we could, could call it a grim milestone. Call this we episode a, a grim milestone? We have a lot of grim milestones coming up. Uh, 100,000 deaths. I mean, oh, yeah. every... Everything's a grim milestone. It's one of the worst expressions in journalism. Gives you an excuse to write a story that you probably should have written earlier or shouldn't write again. Uh, I can't believe Trump acceded to Pelosi and Schumer's demand to lower the flags to half staff for the grim milestone. Did he? he did. Yeah. Which which milestone? Hundred thousand. So that's going to happen. The flags are going to go at half mast. For, he didn't say for the 100,000. He said in honor of the people who died hmm. for three well, days. Well, it's but. two different counts. One is 5,000 ahead of the other one, so it's confusing. Yeah. But um, Grim Milestone, you want us to call it that? No. We, we could. Oh. <laughs> we may. That's like that's like, that's what, like when Michael Lewis – I was sort of heartened by this. Michael Lewis wrote a very good book about the also-ran candidates of – Losers. Called of 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 the presidential race called losers, but w- and and America's booksellers rose as one and said, "We cannot sell a book called Losers." So they gave it some stupid name like Trail Fever, and I noticed now it's called Losers again. It is, yeah. He, he so, there was a re-release or something. He finally had yeah. his way. No, they yeah. they were like, it sounds like kind of a downer. Yeah, yeah. So the Grim Milestone sounds like a downer. Yeah. Final thing. You know, every week I list, I list an elite listener, somebody who listens. Oh, I hate Not this. every week. You hate this? I hate this star-fucking side of Bob. Okay, last time I'll do it. <laughs> okay. Now, that's a term that Mike Kinsley used to do uh, to refer to magazines that would publish a bad piece by a well-known person, right? Um, this is different from that. If you say so, yeah. That's, that's what he meant by that. So, and this is different. Okay. So, it turns out one of our listeners is Dave the Roofer. Okay. Dave the Roofer. Do you not know who Dave the Roofer is? I get him and Joe the Plumber confused. Am I wrong about that? (laughs) Uh, I know they're both really big. Dave the Roofer, uh, uh, weeks ago he tweeted to me that he, his name is Dave and he listens to us while he's uh, roofing. He's a roofer named Dave. And then after I mentioned Andrew Sullivan as one of our elite listeners, he tweeted, I was really disappointed that the new elite listener was Andrew Sullivan and not Dave the Roofer. I'm up to five Twitter followers, WTF, question mark. So <laughs> he has a, he he has has a, a sense point. of humor. I'm, yeah. uh, I, 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 Dave, if you're roofing, I salute you. Yeah, I wonder if I could get a free roof. Now, nah, I probably wouldn't give me a whole roof. That's tens of thousands of dollars. Never mind. Okay. Um, okay. Um, I, I, once again, I'm going to hold off on my Little Rim Desivere, uh riff because I've already done one lesson in, in experimental methodology today. But I do have... Look at, I mean, this, look at this news study. I was disheartened. But 
the hydroxychloroquine. I, I didn't have your piercing intellect to critique it. So the hydroxychloroquine. So you're saying the yeah. control study that shows that that will. I, I don't think it was did. a control study. I think it was another retrospective study, but they managed to cobble together a retrospective control group. I don't know. Uh, there was a control group. It's linked on Drudge. Okay. All right. So another grim milestone, Mickey, uh, okay. which is to say another podcast by you and me, and uh, presumably we will we will do this next week. Yep. Okay. See you. Okay. Take care. See ya. Okay, wait. That was that was not the actual ending of the podcast, right, Mickey? Right. It's like Wayne Newton in Las Vegas. We're going to keep it going. Kind of like him. I wonder how many of our references go totally over the head of anyone yeah. younger than 85 or so. Anyway, Wayne Newton was once a real cultural phenomenon. So, we speaking of which, we're going to talk about Ronan Farrow, uh who is commonly described as the son of Woody Allen, Mia Farrow, in fact, is not the biological son of Woody Allen, according to even Woody Allen, right? Woody no, Allen, he, he, I don't think he's admitted that. Uh, Woody Allen said he's got Frank's eyes, meaning Frank Sinatra, yeah, who apparently was having an affair with Mia Farrow months before Ronan Farrow was born. Is that correct? Is that true? I don't. I didn't know that. I anyway, believe that's... I'm not I an believe that's, he looks exactly like Frank Sinatra. He, yeah, and, and, and not very much like Woody Allen. I guess that's redundant, but... Um, <laughs> So, uh, anyway, there was this big, so he's, he became this famous Me Too journalist. I think one part of a Pulitzer Prize, right? He was working on the Harvey Weinstein case, the story at NBC. Then he left NBC, did it for the New Yorker. New York Times broke the story. New Yorker followed very quickly with his additional information about Harvey Weinstein. And he's celebrated as a Me Too, uh, hero. He wrote a book called Catch and Kill about how he was, you know, Harvey Weinstein tried various dirty tricks to stop his reporting or something. And then Ben Smith this week, whom you have an issue with, which you can or cannot talk about as you choose. Ben well, Smith did a takedown of Ronan Farrow. It was like the New York Times right there on the front page. Ronan Farrow, colon, too good to be true, question mark, or something like that, right? Yeah. Well, yes. And, and he, um, I, you know, he... he 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 scored some points on Ronan Farrow, but you know, uh, my, my point about Ben is just Ben is a great guy. Uh, he's you know, he's a charismatic editor, obviously a good leader. He's a a good choice for the New York Times slot he, he, that he has. He is he is a big improvement for that. He media is the stir, he is the straw that stirs the drink, but he's a little sloppy, and so I thought some of his critique. Wait, should of, we or should we not do the full disclosure here, Mickey? No, no, I'm about to do the full. He wrote mm. a piece on me that was, uh, you know, that was I. It's it was very weird. I I it was a profile in BuzzFeed called "What What the Hell Happened to Mickey Cows." Uh, it, when I read when I first read it, I thought, uh, "Gee, there's nothing wrong with this. This is a fine piece." He's he's you know saying I'm isolated because. I'm for, I was a, about to be a Trump supporter and, you know, my immigration position and all that's true. Uh, and I'm leaving the life of a loner schlub. That was true. Uh, but then I got these emails from friends saying, he's trying to make you look poor. Can't you see that? And I noticed in the third paragraph or the second paragraph, he talks about my small apartment with my decrepit car, uh, parked outside. And then 
Yes, the entire sports car, though, right? Was it? Was that like a Datsun Z car? It's a classic. It's one of the fifty most beautiful cars ever made. Totally. Uh, anyway, it is not the car I drive, but, um, it's just this car. I'm just a schlub. It's a car I have lying around waiting to restore it. But, um, the, uh, all of his millennial readers bizarrely took it as Kaus is a racist dumpster diver living in Venice. He's being punished for his, uh, his, you know. And they were wrong about Trump, the dumpster Trump diver fuse. part. And they were wrong about the dumpster He totally diver. missed the, the point. Look at my vast latifundia here. I'm hardly a dumpster diver. Uh, is so, that the same um, apartment he was describing? No. This oh, is, well, that explains this, it. But uh, but um, the apartment he's describing, I wouldn't let him in the apartment. So I didn't – he didn't see the apartment, okay? He didn't know how big the apartment was. And uh, I had this hilarious conversation with one of his – uh, underlings who said, well, I'm sure Ben wouldn't have written that it's a small apartment unless he had checked with the planning commission in the city and viewed the documents about the square footage in the apartment. And I said, you know, I don't think that happened. <laughs> you know, so I mean, he just, he needed to put the word small there. He put the word small there and it sort of was exactly the sort of careless well, mistake. Well, was it a small apartment, Mickey? Was it's it a, a thousand small? square feet with double high ceilings in one room. It's above average, you know, not big, not small. It's a moderate, medium sized, hmm. slightly above average apartment. Uh, maybe if you're rich, you'd consider it a small apartment, although not even in Venice, apartments aren't big, so it wouldn't be considered small. But, um, uh, the point is he was willing to fudge for the base of the narrative and he had like a, you know, there were corrections out the wazoo on that piece. Were but, there? Good work. But my, my basic, my basic point was the small apartment. That's that, that was the key fudge that he, he stuck in there. Okay. And that's not all dissimilar to, to some things that, you know, some of the, the criticisms he made of Ronan Farrow. And I think, I don't think he was projecting. I think he may be a little self-critical. So he was taking some of his self-criticisms and applying them to Ronan Farrow. Anyway, he's guilty of a lot of the same sins that he said Ronan Farrow was guilty of. That's my only point. Wait a second. Ben is guilty of the same sins as Ronan Farrow? Some of them, yeah. Like what? Like, my apartment's not small, and he said it was small. Yeah, but he I didn't... Feel like, he, I feel like I'm, 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 I'm reversed to the... The, uh, the, he, the the national anthem of Serbia is, it's not small, it's not small. Serbia is not small, so I'm reduced to saying, my apartment's not small, damn it. But, well, there uh, was, but I yes. think there... I think there was a correction at the bottom of his Ronan Farrow piece, but it was totally trivial. It was just like, as I recall, it wasn't even on the level of his apartment's yeah. not really so small. My correction included that he 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 said I was fired and, in fact, I quit. So I say that's not trivial from no, that's not trivial. Um, but, um, so, um So that's all you wanted to say? We're done now? That's my but that's my piece on Ben Smith, yeah. Oh. This Sorry, is really fun. you expect it more? Well, I mean, what, what, what about the Ronan Farrow? Is Ronan Farrow gravely damaged or not? No, I don't think he's gravely damaged. And he was helped by Matt Lauer immediately seizing this as a chance to weigh in on his me tooing and saying, see, I told you not to trust Ronan Farrow and to try to use it as a vehicle for rehabilitating uh, Matt Lauer, which I think will backfire, even if Matt Lauer scored some good points. And the other thing is, I don't think, I mean... Some of his stories don't hold up, but even the most irresponsible of them, which was the Kavanaugh piece about Debbie Ramirez at Yale, uh, you know, where he supposedly Kavanaugh brandished his penis in the face of this poor, uh, naive young woman at Yale, uh, 
That was pretty carefully reported piece. Maybe it shouldn't have been published, but it wasn't badly reported. I well, but think. still, as I recall, look, I, I didn't, I didn't like read the the Ben Smith piece carefully in 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 preparation for talking about it here or anything. But as I recall, there did seem to be like significant uh, things that Pharaoh did not report that did cast doubt well, like, on at least some of the accusations against Harvey Weinstein. Uh, one of them was that, and I, and I don't recall whether Ronan Farrow, we know he had access to this information, but one of them is that one of the witnesses who I think corroborated ultimately or, or didn't, didn't try to undermine, um, an account of, of the woman who said that, uh, Harvey Weinstein had forced oral sex on her, that, uh, an earlier this witness had initially told the the police, I think, that the woman's first account was that it had been consensual. It was no, stuff like that. It was, it was like significant. There's, there's a lot of stuff, stuff like that. But like one of the things that Ben makes a big deal about is uh, Pharaoh claims that Hillary Clinton was uh, dangling this interview for this other book that Pharaoh was writing uh, and and holding it sort of hostage to to try to kill his story on Harvey. Okay, right. And uh, and Ben Smith has a quote from the Hillary staffer saying, you don't know, I was just troubled. I was just troubled by uh, that we are about to get into bed with this guy. And what if he turns out to be a rapist? Well, A, uh, everybody knew that he was guilty, whether whether Pharaoh got the 100 percent goods on him or only the 90 percent goods. So Hillary's if Hillary, uh, you know, if Hillary's flack did not had not heard this, Hillary world was more clueless than even, you know, my world. I mean, I knew it. So uh, that would explain a lot about Hillary's campaign. If she was that clueless, I don't believe she was that clueless. But she could and have been. B, of course, she was dangling the interview as a leverage. Maybe it wasn't leverage to kill the story, but it was leverage to keep Hillary out of the story. She wanted to see what the story was before she granted this interview. That's standard operating procedure among flax, and it's double standard among Hillary's flax. So why would Ben Smith naively believe this self-serving statement of Hillary's flack that, no, but I, uh, well, as I gee, recall, we didn't want to get in bed with a rapist. If you mean Harvey's a rapist, no, my wait, God. As I, but as I recall, wasn't it more than a self-serving after-the-fact claim? Wasn't there some kind of internal was, communication within a, the Hillary campaign corroborating the idea that they were actually just trying to find out whether the Weinstein story was going to have legs? Well, but that's no reason to delay the interview, and uh, uh, and well, but it, but if it undermines Pharaoh's account to some appreciable extent, it's worth. I'm glad you know. I'm yeah. glad I know it. I don't. If, if I don't, it, underst- I don't think if it, it undermines it his. It was an email that he theory. sent to a friend. I think it was the email well, he well, sent we'll to a reporter. Let, we'll who, people a reporter, can Google this. A reporter who 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 bent. It, he, he handles it like it's the smoking gun, and it's just not a smoking gun against Pharaoh. It's a, that this guy wrote that. Uh, he could even he could even have been totally uh, trying to you know leverage Pharaoh into into uh, killing the story and at the same time say we don't want to get into business with this guy if he's a rapist. It, it, it was it had very little probative value one way or the other, and 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 the idea that in sort of it's 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 put forward in in this way that makes you think Ben Smith can't possibly be this naive and stupid. I thought well, I thought the unveiling of the internal communication was significant. It's like uh, 
He's a flack. You think I'm I'm being naive, but here's this big reveal. I thought it was reasonably He's a flack talking to an outside person, and you think he's going to say, hey, hey, we're delaying this. No, but again, that wasn't wasn't, – No, he's not. He's going to say something else. But that wasn't the only evidence. That wasn't the key evidence. The key evidence was the internal communication, unless I'm totally forgetting, which I could be. But hey, you know what? You know what's not sufficiently appreciated in terms of ulterior motives? Do you know what may well have uh, – what motivation could plausibly have put Ronan Farrow onto this case to begin with? Which case? The Harvey Weinstein case. Um, that everybody in Hollywood and half the world outside of Hollywood knew that Harvey Weinstein was guilty? No. Here's what <laughs> I was thinking. Name a person that Ronan Farrow seems to really not like. Woody Allen. Exactly. Who resurrected Woody Allen's career after he got into hot water? I forget whether it was, it was over the, what's her name? The, you know, his Korean not adopted daughter, uh, who, who he wound up is now married to or something, or whether it was the subsequent allegation. But Harvey Weinstein rescued, you know, played a big role in rehabilitating Woody Allen. So could be that, but. what do you mean? Could be that? Come on. There's also well, people are allowed to have have personal. I'm motives. not saying it's a bad thing. And I'm just saying it's a fascinating it, fact. It's also it's also a little interesting that the New York Times chooses to discredit uh, accusations of sexual harassment just when Joe Biden is facing accusations of sexual harassment and saying, Whoa. "Well, maybe all women shouldn't be believed," which is of course true, but weird that they do it now. Now that's interesting. I mean, that's like a that that's that's almost like a, a deep state level conspiracy theory. But I like it because of that. Um, interesting. I mean, but how would that come about? Like, it's not like I don't think it's like Ben Smith would 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 be doing Joe no, Biden. No, you, you don't need to give the hive mind directions. The mm-hmm. hive mind just thinks, well, gee, maybe we shouldn't believe all women. This good woman, Tara Reid, really has problems. Maybe like all these other people have problems too. Well, it's in, I was gonna, I, I'm wondering whether the Me Too climate is shifting partly because of Tara Reid, because again, I think. Well, it's shifting in the right direction, so it doesn't bother me. But. Well, I mean, to some extent. I, I mean, I do think, uh, some of the standards of evidence applied, uh, have not been strict enough. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, yeah, the pendulum could use a little bit of, uh, could have used a little bit of swinging, but, uh, but, but I, it's interesting. I had not put those two together. That's interesting. Um, whether they are both part of a, uh, a, a kind of reckoning on, uh, was, on the Me Too front. Yeah. It was sort of, um, there was a tweet saying that Ben was so brave to go against his tribe and question a Me Too charge, which there was a certain amount of balls. He's showed more balls in that mm-hmm. job than I expected. Yeah, uh, it's been good. It's been a good uh, column. And um, he said things that his readers won't like, which and I didn't And so expect. much better. I mean, with all due respect to the guy who wrote what, what I think was basically the same column before him, their media. Jim David some, Carr? No, Jim. Oh, David Carr was great. But no, Jim, but he's no longer with us. No, Jim. David Carr was great, but he tended not to write things that the readers would hate. And the next, Rudenberg definitely wrote things. Is it Rudenberg? Is that who yeah, the guy I was? Yeah, I think that's the name, yeah. The next guy wrote wrote totally things that the editors would love. Exactly. And, 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 and weren't even and this, interesting. 
And and this one, he's Ben is writing things that actually piss off a part of their readers, but they didn't piss off the pro Biden readers. That's the point. Fascinating point. Oh. Once again, we bring you insights that cannot be had on War Room Pandemic, so the, starring Steve Bannon. Maybe the maybe the um, our title of our show should be "It's Not Small." Wait, what? What, is, what would that be? It's not small as the Serbian national anthem and the Mickey Cows critique of Ben Smith. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, the apartment. It's not small. It has, well, it has, it has various Freudian connotations, too. I wouldn't put that up there with experiment and human sacrifice, but it's it's in my top ten. So the conversation continues as to whether, whether this podcast, whether its name, and whether we have broken a record uh, for length this time. Probably we have, but still we will have enough energy to be here next it's week. It's not short. It's not short. That would be good, too. All okay. of these are being taken under consideration, even as we speak. See ya. See ya, Bob.